father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Let's welcome episode 145 with Coach Terry Morrison. Terry Morrison has been in education as a coach, teacher, and athletic director for 35 years and as a head women's basketball coach for 29 years. She retired from high school coaching in Texas in 2018 and moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Following retirement, Terry decided to help coach the varsity team at Santa Fe Indian School in Santa Fe, New Mexico, worked the Nike EYBL circuit and the direct Blue Star 30 elite camps. She started her career at Arlington Martin as a JV basketball and head track coach and spent six years with Arlington Martin. From Arlington Martin, she became the head girls basketball coach and women's coordinator at Ralph H. Petit High School for 16 years. Following Petit, she spent two years at Royce City High School as a head girls basketball and women's athletic director. Following Royce City, she spent two years at Waco Midway as a head girls basketball coach. For the last nine years, she has been the head coach and women's coordinator at Carroll Senior High School. Her varsity win-loss record is 678-293. and Terry has made consecutive state playoff appearances from 1993 to 2016. Regional tournament appearances in 93, 94, 95, 2000, 2002, 2005, 2008, 2009, and state tournament champion in 2009. She has been the district coach of the year in 91, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, and 2013, 14, 15, 16. In 2009, she led Waco Midway to the 4A state championship. In 2008 and 2009, the Midway teams reached national ranking status. In 2012, the Carroll team reached as high as number 12 in the nation. Terry is involved in her player development and as a skill clinician. As a skills coach for the Nike Skills Academy's EYBL Early Youth Basketball League, Nike Girls Basketball National Tournament Gym Director, EYBL Nike Girls Clinician Coach, 
clinic speaker for Texas Girls Association and Texas Association of Basketball Coaches, and gym director for Baylor Women's Basketball and Southern Methodist University Summer Camp. She was selected as Budget Rental Car National Coach of the Year in 1994, WBCA District 6 Coach of the Year in 2010, head coach of the WBCA All-American Red Team at the 2010 Women's Final Four, assistant coach in the McDonald's All-American Game in 2011, and served as the U16 USA Court Coach in 2014, and inducted into the Midway High School Hall of Honor in 2017. As you can see, she's got a great resume, great bio. She's had tremendous experience in Texas. And now what we're going to kind of pick her brain on, what is she doing now in retirement as she is trying to help build basketball in the New Mexico area, not as a head coach, but in different in different areas, different realms. So it's really going to be exciting to kind of pick her brain on how she, what she has gone through to help us as coaches. So let's welcome Coach Terry Morrison. Good morning. Good morning. How's everything going out there in New Mexico? Everything is fantastic. <laughs> it's beautiful today. Very little wind. My house sits up at about seven seventy one hundred feet. So, uh, great day. I'm going to be on this morning, so it interrupted my morning hike, but self isolating, <laughs> following our governor's order. It's in a gorgeous place. Right. Absolutely. On that, well, I've heard just through the grapevine that I mean, New Mexico is just a beautiful area to live. Is that true? It is true. I think, um, you know, there's not a, there's some different parts of it, just like in any state that unless you really love and grew up there, it might not be for you. But the majority of the national parks and Santa Fe itself being such a great tourist town and surrounded by mountains, it is, it's a really nice place. Um, the tourist part is not as good right now. We have a great governor that's really take, doing some smart things with helping us get back to normal. But um, yeah, it's a not, it, if you're going to have to be quarantined, which is an awful thing for everyone, <laughs> uh, it's a nice state to do it in. Very yeah. different. You know, I was in Texas forever, grew up there, mm -hmm. and it would be really hard in Texas when, you know, it's 95 or whatever. You, you stay inside, but then you see those lakes and the green space. So I feel I'm pretty, pretty lucky where I am. I'm pretty isolated and can go hiking as much as I want. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had a, yeah, a perfect deal for the, the quarantine, no doubt, because it yeah. actually, uh, my fiance and I, we went out uh, local, in Georgia here, we went out and did a little camping the other day. It was kind of the perfect way to kind of get away, but be, be away from people, but also just have a good time and kind of think a little bit. Yeah, you know, the, if there's a positive to this, it's being able to connect mm -hmm. with loved ones and, you know, people that you care about, but then get out into nature. And I've spent some time in Georgia, mainly around the Atlanta area. I did some WBCA events. I'm just a gorgeous yeah. state. A little, little too hot for me now that I've gotten older and I'm sort of <laughs> semi-retired. I like that cool weather and cool nights. So I'm glad you guys got to enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. And Coach Brad Smith said, man, you got to get Coach Morrison. He, he was like, <laughs> he's like your agent. And I said, yeah, I oh, go. Gosh. Yeah, he was saying, man, she just, she just knows so much about what's going on in the game. And the more I research and kind of studied you it's like man you you got a lot of great ideas and you're doing a lot for the for the game so I I really want you to share that can you kind of explain like where you grew up kind of how you got involved in the game and how that has transformed you kind of into what you're doing right now absolutely so first let me let me touch base on Mr. Smith he is a genuine authentic supporter of people um you know, I, I did a training with this group called What Drives Winning, and one of the things about that coaches or things, one of the things that I stuck with me is that a coach has to be an engineer of belief. 
And, you know, that's what we try to get our kids, the parents, faculty. But Brad Smith is the, he has a PhD in engineering belief. He makes you feel good about yourself. But we spent many, many, many hours sitting in gyms, working Nike EYBL, discussing stuff. And I've learned so much from him, mainly just about treating people and uh, those that are around you with authenticity and, and, and respect. So it, he grew me as a young person. I almost had an opportunity to move to Oregon and coach and I chickened out because Texas had its sports, you know, mania ingrained in me and I wanted to stay there and try to be successful. So um, he is part of that whole story of, you know, my background. Um, I was blessed to grow up in a, in the top of Texas in a uh, place called Amarillo, but which sits right outside of Canyon, Texas. And Canyon, if you know much about it or any of the Panhandle areas in Texas, it's where girls basketball was just a stronghold with phenomenal um, coaching and great leaders. And before the explosion of uh, Title IX and the opportunities it provided, there were some coaches in the Panhandle that started this passion, I think, in a lot of young women, uh, especially me, my head coach was, Bob Snyder, and then he went on to coach at West Texas A&M and was one of the winningest college coaches. His son is now the head coach at Kansas, and he has another son coaching in college. And then there was a Dean Weiss was another phenomenal input there. And then Joe Lombard, who's the winningest coach in the nation in high school, was head coach at Canyon for years. And I kind of followed him, and he was in work the camps that I worked. And so I kind of grew up around basketball. And in college, I was searching for something to do because, you know, coaching, I'm, I'm old now, I'm, I'm 60 and the, the game on the side of coaching, it wasn't as, it wasn't like it is now. We didn't have summer and we didn't have a thousand coaches and skill coaches and sure. um, what, where we are now, it's just a fantastic place. So I just sort of fell in love with it. And someone once told me, if you're lucky enough to find a job that you're passionate about, that's half the battle. So luckily I chose um, education and, and coaching because great teachers and co- great coaches are kind of, you know, one's in and one's out. And if you're not a great coach, you're probably not a great teacher. And sure. if you're a great coach, you're probably a good teacher. So that started the love of it growing up there. And then the commitment to work camps. And back in the 80s, camps were seven days and eight hours a day. And it was crazy. So I began my tour of working camps and I worked uh, University of Tennessee camp under Pat Summit for uh, eight different summers and worked um, Southern Methodist University and University of Texas with Jody Conrad. And at that time, Rhonda Rompola was sort of coming into her first as an SMU coach. So I kind of learned from people um, and absorbed. And I just, the thing about coaching is surround yourself with people that are better than you or that you can learn from and that have a passion. And so I just was blessed to be in a lot of gyms for many hours, which led me to different jobs in different places. And then I latched on with the Nike and started doing skill academy with some gifted high school coaches, Dr. Pappas, uh, Mary Klinger, Brad Smith, just to name some of the top three. And then through there, we sort of got in with Blue Star 30, which the CEO is Mike Flynn. And he does so much for women's basketball and developing the skills. So it's sort of just morphed to that. And then I Luckily, in my career, I've been blessed to be at places that have great kids and great leadership. I think a coach, you know, this is an old saying, you're only as good as the people that are surrounding you. And I believe that Um, I was sort of blessed to get to be in um, Waco, Texas, and be surrounded in the the great development of the Beta Women's Basketball Program. I actually um, coached Kim Mulkey's daughter. And to have that resource 
um, every day or to pick up the phone and ask her, you know, what it's, you know, what did this happen in practice? And there's only in the, all the times that I've known her, she never, the only negative thing she ever said, it really wasn't negative is you need to do better timeout management. And I can guarantee you, if anybody knows that coach, I am a great manager of games now with timeouts because it taught me a lot sure. back and looked at the film. So I think that had a lot to do with my involvement and um, where that background came from. And it just developed this initially, I think coaches go into, we want to win. Right. Right. And I was around all these winning things. And then as it progressed, I figured out that the only way to win really is to first got to have better talent. I mean, that's real simple, but there's things that go beyond talent. So winning, you need to change that into, are you learning or your kids learning? And someone asked me, you know, what kind of, what kind of team do you have? Or when the, when we were the most successful, and my response after I thought about it was, I don't know. I'll have to ask you, you know, you'll have to come back to me in 20 years. Because I think that's what coaching does. And that's why we initially get into it is development of players. And by the end, when they're done with your program, it's more than just putting the ball in the hole or stopping a transition basket. It's what kind of character or culture. And those are big terms that people use, but they're really meaningful. So it's a little bit of my background. I've just been surrounded with really good people and hopefully – um, I've given back to them some, but more than anything, um, the players that I've been with, been blessed to coach some really excellent high school players that transitioned into gifted collegiate now are leaders in the business world or great moms, great family people. So I think that's the part that I look back now or I look at day to day and wonder, um, you know, what's it like? Oh yeah, they could, they could score 20 points a game, but now look at them. So I think that's what I feel is the most important part of coaching for me. I can't speak for all coaches. I do see those winner-oriented guys and gals. And I think um, when, when you see that, you wonder what part of their game are they working on, what kind of personalities are they working on. And that's where we kind of reach out and help them on that. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that's such a, an important statement you just said, Coach, because um, the more I – this is my 30th year, and mm-hmm. I, was, I was very fortunate to hire – one of my former players, she's now my assistant. And I'm telling you, what a joy, man. I'm so proud of her. And then, you know, she was going to be doing something else down, you know, maybe going to another area. And I happened to recruit her and get her, get her into coaching. Cause I always felt she was going to be impactful. And I wanted her to be impactful with the players and, and uh, around this area and so forth. And, but man, you're so right. It's like, you don't know, but we judge everything by wins, don't we? We're, we're we so result oriented. It's almost getting to the point where it's almost, it's almost, uh, it's, it's very dangerous. Almost. Well, I, I bet if I could ask you, can you remember your first year of being a head coach to now your 30th year of coaching, how you approach the game now or how you approach practices. And that's what we can really help young coaches or rookies coming in. And you know what? I think everybody does this. I don't care what level you are, NBA, WNBA, collegiate, high school, middle school, you know, the summer guys, I think that if we can shift the focus, it's about performance. And in that there's so many things instead of being outcome oriented, it's really important at the high school level. If you're a coach, I absolutely (coughs) believe that you have to be more education based athletics and really tie into your total program and focus on what does the outcome look? You know, if I'm focused on my outcome, then I'm missing so much. If I'm focused on my performance, my players' performance, my staff performance, even parents, you know, there's this whole paradigm you have to look at. I think you can wake it. And the, the key to being really happy, which is hard as a coach, because we are everything um, 
is based on what it looks like at the end. Right. And so if you can get up each morning and be excited about what you're going to try to do to help players be successful and not focus on the outcome, I think your coaching tenure and your career lasts so much longer. And when I was up, when I was over this women's program and um, my last school before I retired, that's the thing we all as a staff focused on was, Gosh, we're so, so successful. Let's not hang our hat on that. What are we doing for kids? What are we doing for staff members? What are we doing for parents to help them in these tough times? And right now with what's going on in in, in the world, I think that it has to be based on the present moment, our performance, because we're not seeing them every day. And what is it like at home? Is there some inequities going on with learning, with performance? And I think that's where some of these Coaches are, especially coaches that aren't in a school that they get to see their kids. And coach, I don't know what your high school, your socioeconomic background, but you may not be able to reach all your kids by a beautiful Zoom meeting and have a a specialist come in and video and you help them. You know, there's other ways we have to do that. So I think it's really going to test coaches detail and what you're doing with these podcasts should really help because we're in a different stage right now with help with working with kids and so are college coaches and so are young middle school and what was it going to look like to practice so I really appreciate that you brought that up about as from young and we can't really focus on winning right now we just need to focus on arriving on the other side of this pandemic yeah and there there's so many there's so many doubts right now I mean you hear from it and the the media and everything is so this is so negative, isn't it? I mean, you listen to the media, it's like, man, we'll never get out of this. Um, and that is scary. But I think, what are we going to learn from the, this pandemic, Coach? I mean, what what are we, I think you mentioned it. Uh, maybe we learn things we can do better in our educational system, don't we? Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you know, I don't know if it's better. I've, there's so many things right now. You can get on, you can read the negativity, which I would encourage all coaches or all people not to pick two reliable sources. And that's all you do. I sort of got hung up on it early and it just made me crazy. Thank gosh I was able to go hiking. Um, I think the (laughs) other thing that we can do um, within this is just focus on just arriving on the other side of it, be supportive and you can't fight against it. You can't control it. So instead of trying to be better, which I think we get grit and toughen it up and write your first novel and develop a whole program of your nine month. I think if that's what makes you feel better about yourself, then do it. But more than anything, I think what we're learning is that relationships are the key in all programs in all business and all sports. And without relationship building, you can't have dialogue. And without that, you don't really have any movement forward. So I think that's what we'll get out of this is, relationships will become more authentic and you won't take things for granted. And hopefully we'll learn to, to like everyone, whether the summer guys support your program, you know, or you support theirs or your principal or whatever, we're going to have to all work in this together. So truly, I think it's going to be like coaching a team. We're going to have to have team concepts when we come back from this and what a school going to look like. We're going to all have to work together. And in that ultimately what you do to build a championship program is you have to hit all parts. Yeah, you, that, that's that's well said. And I, I am curious what school is going to look at. I'm a PE mm. teacher. Yeah. I have a great job, Coach. I'm a K-5 PE teacher. Bless uh, you. And I, I love great it. <laughs> um, but it's going to be different. Well, I mean, yeah. it's going to be a lot different. How? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I teach PE at the Indian school that I work at right now. And I'm thinking, I may oh, not have yeah, it's so funny. I wasn't in the classroom for like 18 years because I was a coordinator and athletic director. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh. But, you know, it's the same thing. You go in, you do a practice plan and you, you just go out there and we have the greatest job in the world. For all the PE teachers out there, coaches who are PE teachers, that is a good job because you get kids that um, may not want to be there. 
um, may not really like working out like your athletes who run out there to try to make those shots. So um, I think that's an important part, but you and I may not have a job. So we've got to figure out ways to be, I think everybody should do that. Even kids make yourself um, meaningful and not better, mm-hmm. but what, what can we do right now to find ways to help all the kids? And it's the same thing as coaching. Yeah, I, I hope you're not right, though. I hope we no, do I still have it. Yeah, that's been, I didn't mean to be such a naysayer, but either uh, that or, or our classes will be beautiful because we only have 10 or eight kids in there at a time instead of, you know, 35. So that, actually, fun. that's what I'm thinking. I think you're right, coach. I think we're going to have, because I have a class, some of my classes, they have like over 40 kids, and that's yeah. not going to happen, right. uh, which I'm going to miss all that. But we got we got to adjust. We got to, we got to adapt, right, coach? Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, uh, you, I, I've spoken with, matter of fact, I have spoken with Joe Lombard and a lot yep. of Texas coaches, man, they're serious in Texas, man. And, but why was it, why did you go from Texas? And I'm really curious to Santa Fe, tell us about <laughs> kind of the transition that you made from being a really successful coach in Texas and moving to Santa Fe. Can you tell us? Sure. Um, you know, it's not as detailed as people think it is. I think every coach will come to a point in the career and you will too. Kevin, I mean, you, you reach a point. I'd been doing it for <clears throat> 35 years. And in the last nine, it was in an uh, athletic coordinator and head coach's role. And I just kind of, the you kind of reach a point. Is this what I want to do every single day and how much longer? And, you know, there's, there's two sides to that. And I, and I can tell you as a coach in your career, maybe you know this too, being in it, as long as we all have, if you love where you are and they love you, hang on. Cause that's very rare <laughs> in that uh, sense. Sure. If any of those change and they will change, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not as like, mm-hmm. you know, for coaches that stay past 20, um, that's kind of a rare deal. You know, you change, you upgrade, you go to a larger class, you go to a smaller class, you have family, just different things happen. And, you know, so I felt toward the end, I was, I was looking toward transitioning to just do my summer stuff, which I love working at EYBL and sitting in gyms and watching kids. I love skill development. I love working with players to get them from A to B and the practices. And, and I love practice, but the games weren't, and this is me, the games just, I'd done some, I don't know. I think I've coached a lot of games. I don't, I mean, you have my <laughs> resume. I mean, so I just sort of thought, what else could I do to be impactful with kids? And where can I do that? That my personal sanity and, you know, I think as a coach, you've got to take care of your mental, emotional, physical, and social as well as taking care of your players and your things. So um, uh, New Mexico is a beautiful state, and I knew I'd probably wanted to retire to a place, and it's closer to Texas, you know, um, where my mother lives. So I made the decision, hey, I'm going to retire. I'm going to do my summer events only, and I'll move to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then it was great for about three months. It was beautiful. Oh, my gosh, weather, hiking. But I got a little bored as coaches will happen. And, and so make sure you're ready, you know, if you're at that point. <laughs> And I was blessed to uh, land a job at, uh, it's actually a boarding school. It's called Santa Fe Indian School. And we're an indigenous school, which there are um, quite a few of them in New Mexico. And this is an unbelievable basketball state. Um, the, the fans are knowledgeable. The indigenous population are native schools. It is unbelievable. The crowds and the players are excellent and smart and know how to play. So, I'm very offensively oriented. Like I think when you step out of the car or the bus, you should shoot. And I know people think that's funny, but it's uh-huh. true. So it's a really good high percentage mm-hmm. shooting state. Um, it's different than Texas. The summer programs aren't as detailed. We're not as recruited. There's not that high 
volume of players you find in Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, Southern California, you know, those areas of, but there is very good basketball and very good coaching. And I've learned a lot. You know what? I've learned um, different, different ways to control tempo or not and fast paced. It's even faster paced basketball and not as much structured high cerebral offenses as a lot of driving kick and um, surprisingly lots of zone, which I'm not used to Texas. There's a lot of man to man. So it kind of grew me as a coach. So I challenge anybody. If you retire, find you a job that still sings to you, but you're not the boss end all. I'm the varsity assistant. It's the greatest thing ever. I don't know if I'd ever be a good coach again, head coach, because all the kids love the assistant and I'm poking fun at that, but it is just the relation. <laughs> so true. The, oh my gosh. The relationship piece. I mean, and you don't get the big heavy guns, but you get to contribute in a way um, to help a program. So I think I challenge all head coaches every once in a while, go back and let your assistant be the head coach and you be an assistant coach in preseason. And what does that look like? Cause there's so many avenues and I had forgotten as a head coach, because I'd done it for so long, the role of assistant, I demanded, I wanted them to be like me. And then being on the other side, sitting to the right of the coach, you know, change, I wasn't driving the bus anymore, as I called it. Um, I learned uh, patience and empathy and things that I'd sort of took for granted. So I think it challenged me to be a little bit better. And then crazy story, we were um, at New Mexico. It's just unbelievable, the state tournament, because the boys and girls, I think it's a lot of places do this. But we go to UNM, which the old name was the pit, greatest place to play ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And we were playing and uh, we were making a great run. We were the number two team and the one and two team. It just we were just battling and battling. And luckily we got they were in our district, which, which, of course, and we were going through the state run and we were in the semifinals and the head coach got uh, the flu and, and couldn't coach. And, I, and she came. She goes, Coach, you're going to have to coach the semifinal game. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be back in the driver's seat. I had a ball. So it was fun. Yeah, I was in it. I had a ball and went to it. And, the, you know, it was fun to get to kind of bark at refs again and do a little bit of challenging. And, and it all came coming back. And the kids, oh, the kids responded so well, as kids do. You give yeah. them a chance to be successful. You let them go because that's, that's a whole other way you develop your offense is they make decisions. You set the table, but, you know, they've got to eat. So it was really fun to see how they responded. And it was a really good deal. And it was we wound up losing in the state uh, title game. And coach came back and things were good. But for our kids and that experience, and I haven't experienced a state tournament like this. Now, I know that at other states, Dr. Papa State packs it in. But it, it was a great experience to change from Texas, which is so competitive and such great athletes, and you root to this love and culture and people. You could feel the, the heartbeats coming from the crowd and the stands. So I think that's always good to learn that. So that's the key of New Mexico, great crowds. People love it. The players love it. Um, pretty people smart here, so you got to know what you're doing. Uh, parents aren't just going to – it's not about playing time. It's about some different things, and that was pleasant. They didn't question a lot. And so I was blessed to find this little job, and that's kind of – what my world is like in New Mexico, we're, we're getting a little bit of stuff on the week um, in the spring. Not now. We ran a Blue Star event for Mike Flynn, and there were some great players. Um, we've got two really good pro- – got two or three top programs in the summer here, and I applaud those guys for doing that. So um, I like it that it feels a little bit like uh, 15 years ago development, like it was in some of the states, and that it's it's meaningful to kids. There's not there's not an AAU team on every corner. And so what the kids are getting is authentic here. And I really like that. Yeah. And I want that, I want the, the transition into 
your blueprint of how to build a program. I know you can't go into every detail, right. but uh, I want to pick your brain. And what's interesting, though, it's what's, what's really cool is it sounds like to me by going to New Mexico, your philosophy might have adapted or changed a little bit from what you did in Texas. Talk, talk about how do you build a program blueprint starting with the culture and philosophy. What would you do now if you were going to, if you were a, you were a coach? Great question. Um, you know, I, I don't, it, that was an interesting viewpoint where you said, well, maybe since you've left, you know, um, I don't think it changed the key things that I look for. And in the, what, what it did bring me is a little bit more appreciation of things below um, the stamp as the boss, as the CEO. And I think that's the big thing I would concentrate or tell any young coach or um, any coach right now is the things that are most important to me in building a program or maintaining a program is relationships. That's got to be number one. And within that relationship is your relationships with your leadership team. You know, like what's your administrative, what's your principal's goal? What is this counselor's goal? What is going on? Your faculty. Um, I think that's the relationship piece, your staff. Um, your feeder programs, and finally the relationships with your summer mm-hmm. coaches. That's a, that's a different deal. And I think in Georgia, do you, Coach, do you get to coach your kids in the summer? I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. I yeah. know uh, that, that, that to me is a big disconnect for us. Yeah. But, but, but I have parents that coach our AAU team, so that helps. What, I'm used to that. Uh, I'm not stupid. <laughs> yeah, for the, the time I was in Texas, even when I left, you couldn't work with your kids in the summer. Right. And it, but there, it's so evolved there that there was a structure system that kids got great. We have great club teams. But I think that was what New Mexico, we can work with our kids. And I did like mm-hmm. that. But you know what I found is I really wanted to break from them. And that's yeah. not a negative Good in the point. sense of I wanted to maintain the relationship piece. And so I said this before in an earlier conversation with that, you know, it's I look at relationships like with your family. Um, they give you the benefit of the doubt sometimes because you're family, right? Or And so that's the key, like dealing with parents. If you have really strong relationship with them and you don't shy away from them, that's the number one thing that really affects coaches now. And I think a lot of people leave the profession because of pressure to win, pressure from parents or or a crazy board member or someone within the academic team that you don't play. This is a big statement somewhere along the way you, they, you did something that with one of their children or someone, a friend of a sure. child that kind of puts you on the, that's the negative side of coaching and that's based on relationships. Correct. So yes. just make sure that that's one of your focuses. And if you're not good at it, get a workshop. That's all people are talking right by now. And if you think about, and it's kind of hokey and lovey dovey, but it really is important. Second thing on, um, top things I look for in a program is authenticity. And that goes into so many things. Are you honest? Are you hardworking? Are you making commitments? What does it look like? And what I mean by that is if you, what you show, then they will see. And it, it starts at the top and that's your staffing. Again, back to what is your, if your administration walks in a gym, what does it look like? If a summer guy comes in, are you being authentic with them? Are you telling them what they want to hear? Or are you telling them the truth? And that's being with players. It's okay to tell a player truth if they're, you know, and what does that look like? Some coaches really struggle with telling kids that they're not at the level they think they are or their parents. And you get a lot of blowback from that. But I think you right. have to be authentic. I found it's much easier to, to break a heart once than all season long. 
And I've used that a lot. And then finally, and this is where some coaches get it backwards. They think this is number one, the X's and O's of a program. What is that? What do I mean by X's and O's? Well, it ties into authenticity and relationships, but your practice plan, your weight program, who are you connected to with, um, and, you know, and what I mean by that is don't go to every summer clinic and then change your offense every year. You've got to, you got to find what, look at what your kids can do. Well, if you are <clears throat> really not a great shooting team, you're probably not going to need to run a lot of quick hitters in a wide set in that sense. So you may need to be a ball control team that year and you better get better on ball handling or turnover, you know, ball security. So I think the X's and O's piece is third, but within that it, relationships. So those are my top three things in building a program. What is the key? I think reason I said, number one relationships, you better go out and get a staff that is as good as you or better in areas. And it's, uh, it's gotta be value positive. Um, uh, one of my favorite players um, who I learned more from the game from her than the hump than I ever taught her. She, she had a really gifted parent and he would share philosophies with me and one of the things I got from him of the 10 years that I've known this family is is it value positive coach is it value neutral or is it value negative and I go what does that mean well if you're going to make a decision what is it is it going to be really negative then don't do it is it value neutral then you could probably go ahead and ride with it you know because it's not going to hurt you one way the other is it value positive you're going to get positive value from this decision and that's based on staff so don't you know, that's a big key is your staffing. And I bet you know that too. Like you said, you got to hire a former player and I've been blessed to get to hire many former players because <clears> I've been doing it a long time. And what, you know, a couple I made mistakes on because they really weren't in that top three, the relationship piece, they weren't authentic. They were just ballers and they really didn't work on the top two. So I think that's how mm. you're building a program. Um, the next area within that on your leadership team are they going to, that's your principal, that's your athletic director. Are they going to, what are you asking for? And really know yourself inside and out and, and what's value positive. Now, Cause I don't, you think coach that people take jobs because it's, it looks good on a resume, but it really isn't a good fit. And then they wonder after two years why they're not happy or they're not winning or they're winning, but they're not fulfilled. So that's, that's kind of on building a. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Program um, and being yourself, have good relationships, good staff, and then on your ex to knows, make sure they fit your background. And if you don't know something, then work at it and find someone who does. Yeah, that's a. I mean, those are three great points, Coach. And I, um, I do have to say that I work at a small school, so small schools I think are probably a lot different than a big, bigger school. Yep. It's hard to find good assistant coaches because there's not. A, I mean, there's there's good people, but it's hard to get people to devote the time for no money. You're right. Uh, You're right. And that that's that's the struggle. So I think every coach is it. Uh, head coach is, is fighting that. And sometimes, let me ask you this, is it better? I know we all want assistant coaches, 
I think it's better sometimes if you don't have the right person, you got to do it yourself. That's an excellent point. And that's that, <laughs> man, I agree with you. So I've gone from, you know, one of the best, largest, biggest, you know, I mean, five men, five people on a high school staff. It's, it's not uncommon in Texas. It's your 6A. <laughs> wow. You know, can you imagine varsity assistant, JV1, yeah. JV2, 9A and B? That's not unheard of. And so then to a small school, um, this is a, a smaller, we're 3A in Santa Fe, which, you know, we don't have a, a lot of kids. And when I look at it, you know, staffing, um, I found that you're right. They did not want to put the hours in for the amount of stipend that was tied into that. So I wasn't being glib thinking about staffing. So when you said, what you said is, is it, it would have been value negative for you to hire someone that may wouldn't really fit value neutral. You're going to work harder, but you're not going to get anything negative from it. And sometimes you're right. If it's not the right fit, it can really hurt your staff and it can hurt your kids. So I think you made a really, eh, that's a tough one. And I think we're going to continue to see staffing structures. Um, I listened to your podcast earlier. Well, I think earlier this week about when Dr. Pappas said, you know, all these universities are coming in with, budget concerns and staffing concerns, right. it's going to trickle down to us. And you may have yeah. a practice when you're with three of your teams and it's just you. So by gosh, you better have good relationships and you better have hard work. So it all comes down to those three things. At the end of the day, coach, let me ask you this. Is it important that you run 72 plays or is it important that the kids feel comfortable enough? That's where that, when we talk about offensive development, that maybe if it's just you, that you allow your kids the freedom to learn to coach themselves a little bit and have free, it's not free play, but if they can learn to do it themselves, imagine how much better they're going to be in practice. So maybe this downsizing, as we call it, this helps us in the long run. But yeah, I would really like to have a gym full of 10 excellent coaches as we all would, but it may not be that point. So any given day as the head coach, you've got to figure out ways to be the best that you can be for them and, and for you. Yeah, I love those points. And, and I do have to say that what I guess as I get older, and, I, and let's be honest, I mean, the ex, your experience helps. Um, I really value my players. I actually have value my players as coaches and leaders now. There's many times when I will go to my leadership, my, my leadership team is a, hey, hey, we're not running this drill right. Can you, hey, let's fix it up. And they'll go out there and get the team going. It's amazing what oh, kids amazing. can do Great point, coach. when I'm we sure. allow them. And I learned this as I got older Me too. and sometimes I need to back off, which is, I think we don't do enough of as coaches, right? Well, you know, we're, if we we're all type A to the most part, majority of us, and we're all a little bit control oriented, it's really hard to let go of that control. And that was the biggest change that I found. And as it progressed is to, Hey, listen, I don't need to be the control of everything. And, you know, the whistles stop every three seconds and change the play and do this the kids kind of have to work through some things because it may not work. So yeah, I think that's a valid point. And it's, um, you know, a good, a good way you can do that is we took, <laughs> I had a coach that was goodness gracious, just a talker. Let's just put it that way. And I so <laughs> I got a stopwatch out and I timed every time practice stopped, right. For an hour, right. it was an hour and 15 minute practice. And <laughs> out of that hour and 15, the kids got 20 minutes of activity. Oh, man. So, and, you know, it, it, the per they were very receptive. And they said, oh, man, I didn't realize it. Because maybe they don't. Because they wanted it to be perfect. And basketball's not perfect. And when you look at the teams that flow, you know, I kind of um, – you look at some of the top – and I'm, uh, I can't speak for 
your state, although I've seen some really good basketball players come out of your state. I haven't watched a lot of um, high school girls basketball in Georgia, probably in the last 10 years, I haven't seen it. But in looking at other states and high school teams um, or even some collegiate teams, the teams that seem to flow a little bit, you don't see, you see a very enthusiastic, energetic guy or, or gal on the sideline, but you don't see a whole lot of stop, start, do this, do that, a lot of negative language. You just see them playing and the positivity and kids making decisions based on their own. It's kind of fun to watch. Now it's, it's a skill you have to develop. You probably realize that, right? It took you a while to let go of sure. it. Yeah. But I think it's, sure. I think it's huge, especially kids. If you know, it's that thing, if they have a part in it, if they have a say in it, the buy-in is much higher. Your value positive is much higher. Yeah. And I, I totally believe in that. And uh, I wish coaches would actually just, um, take heed to that advice and so forth from, from, from experienced coach like yourself. I think it's really a valid point. Coach, can you tell me, talk about your, I want you to kind of blend us and teach us your offense and defensive system, what you really believe in. I can, I have a feeling I can kind of tell how you like to coach, uh, but kind of tell us how you would build your offense and defensive system. Do you base it on the players that you have or base it on what you know? It's a mix of both. You know that, right? I bet most coaches just say that. Um, You know, I have the same thing. Oh, gosh. And it's been goodness. I'm I'm trying to – I'm tapping this brain this morning to think about how long I've been running this this break I call um, my transition game and develop it. So the the very first thing I look at, and this is a big key, and it's so funny when I I try to get coaches to – you know, when coaches ask me or people have watched our games or even – some of my assistants, they go, how did you know that? And I looked at him. I said, well, how did I know what? How did you know to call that right there? Or how did you know to change the defenses? And, <laughs> and I think it's experience, right? And I think it's watching a lot of basketball. So I challenge when you're building your program or your offensive and your defense. This is, up, this is for young coaches, right? Because that coach, I can't tell you. You know what you like and you know what you're going to do. And we all as coaches steal from everybody, right? And, oh, wait, that might work with my kids. So the number one thing when you are looking at your players coming in, let's go from a high school perspective, is you need to be experiencing your junior high programs by yourself, whatever. You need to be around those kids, seeing what's coming in. You need to see where your strengths and your deficits are. And then from there, it's this, this is this counter thing. How would you, Coach, and this is a question for you, how would you scout your team? If you were going to be scouting your team, that's the first thing I tell people in developing their offense and their defense. If, sure. you know, how are you going to scout your team and sit down and whatever you know is coming back and look at your own game film and write a scouting report, how you would beat you. Okay. How am I, how would I beat my team? How would I beat this program? Even if I was a state champion or I'm coming out number two or I'm coming out 15 or I'm coming out. Nobody knows who I am. <clears throat> I do that scouting report. And from that scouting report is how I build my year-to-year offensive defensive schemes and my practice plans. It's as simple as that. This, and that's why people, how do you know to do that? Well, it's because I worked on it in the summer. I worked on it in preseason. I even, and when preseason comes in, I scout us again in our scrimmages. Where are we, and then I keep that scouting. You keep tweaking it till you are ready for game one or scrimmage one. And then again, after two or three, let's say you have two or three bad games, you go back and you scout yourself again. And that's how you, you don't, you can't throw the whole thing out if you get beat three times in a row. 
you look at where you like, okay, so they stopped us on our, they were always, we got really hurt on a baseline out of bounds. We never could get it in. What did they do to us? Oh, okay. So then you go back and that changes your game plan for your blobs or your slobs or your transition. Okay. And now I believe within that, those are the tweaks, but you have to have a philosophy. Do you want to break down the middle of the floor? Do you want to break sideline break? Do you want to be a dribble push coach? Do you want to be a pitch ahead coach? Do you want to be a change sides of the floor? I can't predict that for you. I know what I like, and I like to get the, the most important pass is the one off the rim or off to the make, and you get it in. That's your first important pass. And as a point guard, so much pressure on your guard position. Some people like a steady, constant point guard. Some like to out to either side. I find it better to have one decision maker coming down the floor that's in tune mentally, a little psychic with the head coach. And we get it. Sure. Yeah, we get it up. We get it down. And, you know, layup set up. You don't get a layup. In a, and what is a high percentage shot, Coach? That's what we try. We would love to get in the paint and get an easy high percentage shot. But, you know, the, the first – when I came to the Indian school, kind of changed that. You know what a high percentage shot for us was off our break? One ball reversal, get it to the third side and shoot it. <laughs> Telling you. Because, <laughs> sure. And I love the third side of offense. So um, when I started this about 14 years ago um, – Coming from, I was a very ball control coach. And then kids were kind of boring and people could press me more. So we just got the ball out, got it down the sideline. We read the read. If the one side was clogged, we transitioned, we reversed it. We looked at the backside. And if we didn't get a look in three passes, boom, then we were kicking it. We were not really kicking it out. We were starting either our two-man game or our motion or if a zone, getting, uh, get the zone to shift. So that's kind of where you look at it. So when you're teaching your transition, that is your number one offense. And maybe, I don't know if you agree with me, coach, but if I can beat you in transition, I don't have to worry about half court sets and ball handling. My turnover ratio goes down. Yeah. So that's my, that's my key on the offense is I scout myself in the summer. I scout the individual weaknesses and players, what will work, what won't. And then from there, I can decide on my transition game. Oh, maybe I always, maybe I need to reverse it immediately because I got a weak point guard, but then I'd stretch the defense by making them a big guard, a big, you know, those kind of things. So I think that's where you get your transition, uh, get it up, get a layup. If it's not there, reverse it. If it's still not there, kick to the top and get, I love it's called high, low integrity. Have you ever heard of that coach? High, low integrity. So, uh, actually I have not, of course okay. I've heard of, you know, the high, low. Yeah. But okay, not look, the high, low integrity. Okay. Yeah. So if the ball is high, you always have a low look because that makes your defensive help side kick in. Right. Okay. So you know what I, every offense to me, and you know, I'm, I'm saying all or none, it's a triangle and a two, no matter where you're set, even in a four out one, and even a five out, you've got a power triangle with two people not doing anything, or that's where you're trying to get the defense to come from to shift it to. So we kind of come down and if we don't get that look, boom, we reverse it. We got a high-low look. Did the defense catch in? If they are sagged, we get a third side three. If they didn't sag, we get a high-low look, post-player scores. So it's really high percentage to less percentage, but you have rebound integrity and high-low integrity. So whatever transition we're running, we really love a high-low integrity. And, and one of the skills that we get out of that, we skill, the, we skill it a lot, is we spend more time on small-sided transition, meaning we have three players transitioning, before we ever put our five because three of the people are involved because there's a ball and two players that are open. The other two are just kind of your secondary reads. So that's what we, that's our whole transition in offense. That was, was that as simple as I could make it coach? That, very simple. Yeah. I, I'm thinking, and I'd love course, to send you, know, you my PowerPoint on this thing. Cause it's pretty, I mean, and, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I'm a, I love, um, you know, I love it when the 
flow of offense looks like a symphony. You know, you can, it's just building and it's really keyed and boom, boom, boom. And you just hit it. The high low's not there. You bring it back, you know, you kick back. And so I've got this whole thing where, and the kids become very good decision makers. They learn to read help side because the best yeah. offense, the best offensive players, let me rephrase that. I, I believe we can have the most unbelievable, how many offenses are out there? Wow. But at the yeah. end of the day, yeah. Players have to execute the offense. And if they – you realize that if we all just throw, roll the balls up, that we would have some of the best shell. Girls shell better than anything I've ever seen. Seventh grade, eighth grade, fifth grade girls, they love to run really nice cuts and motion movement. What happens when you throw defense out? Man, they forget to move. And girls really <laughs> – and, you know, female athletes, I don't yeah. – And the, the elite athlete who's done a lot of one-on-one -on -one growing up or had – more physical play and matured a little more. They kind of get how to one-on-one -on -one off of a dribble, but that's easy to defend as they get into high school. Cause we can stop one good player. So that's where you have to really work on that small side of transition to big side to, you know, and we also do a lot of advantage disadvantage on our offense. And then once it kicks back out and we start our sets to our secondary reads, then we'll collect, we'll bring in all five. And then you really have to work on your player development on that situation. And if you are not doing individual player development, and I'm not talking um, added, added dribbles, I'm talking space in your player development. Does, if it, does a kid know how to space out? That's another thing I didn't bring in, which mm -hmm. is a huge concept with me in offensive transition is space. And that's all offense is to me. And I stole so much from the Arkansas coach. He's unbelievable, Arkansas women about space and he calls it space and it's a good way to make defense work hard. So when we teach offense, I think some coaches, especially young, get hung up on beautiful offensive schemes, but they forget that defense is out there. So they don't teach players how to read defense in the offensive setting. So that's why getting to space, individual player development, if you can blow by someone with two dribbles, you've got it. But if you can't, what's the space kick out or what's the cut. And so that's why you have to teach space, basket cuts and efficient dribbles. Yeah, I love that. And, um, uh, uh, you know, what, what the difficult thing is, and I, I'm, of course, I'm trying to envision and so forth it's as we talk. And it's all, no, I love that. Um, I, and I think you're talking about Mike Neighbor. Awesome. I love I love Mike Neighbor. I have so many of his drills, man. I'm, I feel like I'm a thief. Yeah. He didn't um, care, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't he, think he would care. No, no, but I tell you, I always recommend coaches go on his YouTube channel. That guy – not only has great video, but great descriptions, great teaching points. That's like, man, it's, it's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable teacher of the game. Well, um, and I think, coach, I think what's good about, yeah, go ahead. and you see some really successful coaches. I think Courtney Banghart does a really good job with space. And then for those coaches who like control, man, pull up Baylor. They have the best control break. It's high-low. It's backside. You do your job. It's simplistic, but it works. And some people say, well, she's got these great players, but really they just do the right things for high percentage. And so when you're looking at whatever you're doing as a coach and what you feel comfortable with, I think you can emulate that and then call them on the phone, go watch a practice if we ever get out again, because I think that's the key. And especially, <laughs> you know, you're not, there's a lot of junk out there and there's a lot of coaches that put a, a lot of uh, skill guys that put some stuff out there, but he had a, he had a video. I think they scored like seven times down the floor. They scored every time and it's off transition period. And it was based on space. So we had really good players that bought in. Oh, and that's another thing that when you do these things, if your players don't buy in, it doesn't matter what you run. So that's that culture piece. 
You've got to find things. And do players like open space and running? Yeah, you and I both know they do. But if they're not good enough to do that, you got to find them to buy into, you know, secondary break, dribble push, work on some reversal, and take your time and, you know, eat some clock up to help your players be successful. Whatever offense you're running, it has to fit your player's skill level. Yeah, and that's – Coach, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. I just think your top-level programs, the, the, the head person is a great teacher. I think you can – your great teachers can teach any yep. system. Yeah, good point. I agree with you, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so um, – now, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you about my team, and then I'm going to – I want you to kind of coach me Uh-oh. up a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, we started four years ago building a program from scratch, a first-year school. Um and we've gotten a little bit better every year. And, and last year we won 21 games and so forth. Now we added, we added some really good players. So we're quick. I have one big girl inside. And we try to basically rerun four out, one in. We try to feed her in the low post. We have a lot of cutters. We have a lot of dribble drive action. But she has a tendency to be off balance in a lot of her moves. I'd love to send you some video and have you give me some good points for. But um, we're trying to get her to have more stability in her legs, getting stronger, trying to get her to finish better. She's off balance a lot. So give me some points on developing a good big. Uh, The number one point is reps. Okay. Um, Individual uh, without a ball first. Uh, Weight room. Coach, is she in the weight room? much for balance or not she actually no oh she came over from another school so um now this year she's going to be in our our weight uh she's going to be taking our uh, weight classes that we have during the day so so much uh, weight training as it is footwork and balance and low post action and hands and quick feet there's a whole lot Mm. to that so you know I, i think the best thing you can do for a post that is not knowing where the basket is is this is a big thing that we teach. So wherever the ball is, right. And envision this and, and coaches that are listening. So you have a, you have, you're just looking at this wherever the basket is. Okay. And wherever the ball is that your post player is in a direct line between that. So if they reverse the ball to the sure. left wing, she better have good quick leg whip and it's ball post rim because most, and, and even if you're bringing her from the offside and flashing her, even if you're bringing her up high, she need it's So it's a, Envision in your mind, Coach, can you see the ball and the rim? Make a straight line. Your post is wherever you like um, in that situation. Ball, post, rim. And they've got to love the rim. Another key on balance is if a post player gets too low below the block, you've taken away so much of their angle. Does that make sense? If you get her on baseline? Yeah, And then the third thing, and I don't know if your post does this, and Coach, you probably have told her this a thousand times. I'm not – they hide. They give a half. They give a half figure. How big is your kid? <laughs> she's well, six one. She, I mean, she's good yeah, sized so kid. Yeah, she's got to learn to step over and show her whole. And we call it cactus arms. Okay, so imagine. Well, yeah. I guess in New Mexico or Arizona. So imagine the head and the <laughs> arms, and not straight up, but the yeah. arms like a cactus sticking out with two L's on the side. Because if you teach, even if they're fronting her, she's got to fight because she struggles with balance and you lob it in, she's not going to be in the right position because, A, she's shown half a body and lost her power, and she's not a lying ball head rim to get in there and square up on that. So the first thing I would do is work on footwork and ball head rim and go on block to block, flash high, elbow to elbow, even short corner because it's with that size, that's a really thing hard to defend. And in the weight room, 
I would start, you know, there's some whole activities you can do, but if, if she's struggling with balance or catching the ball and knowing what to do with it, first check her strength base and her balance base. And second, just lots of reps on short shot activity, catch high, keep high. And you know, Dr. Pappas is like the post guru on stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You is. know, I wouldn't, yeah. and I'm going to make it real simple. Um, I think a post needs a great post needs one move and one counter. That's it. Love you know, it. Yeah. Keep it simple like that. So um, I like your four out one in. I, that's what we call it 41, but there's some things I've learned with the dribble dry that kind of stall a little bit and you have some cutters. So I like to kind of run an overload or a backside off that four out one in so that your post, when you're doing your small sided games or you're teaching your small side build up a 41 with her, make sure that she is not just, you know, you want to do individual play, right? You want post on one end, guards on the other end. But I'm a big fan of a guard, two guards in a post. And even if it's, or if you only have one post, or even your back, a guard, two guards in a post, and all of your post drills, so that they get comfortable with passing, and you can help her by watching position play and angle of pass in, inside the school. I love that point because I think that is neglected a lot because when we divide up, you know, guards and posts, the the post passing, Mm -hmm. post passing is a skill. That's that's a skill and an art. It is. uh, I think passing in general is a skill because we, these kids today think we're paying them for dribbles. I really, they think we're, their job is to get paid to be dribblers. So, which is fun, you know, but every dribble you take, your offense goes, the efficiency goes down. Every dribble you take become more selfish. So you want to be efficient. If the, if the dribble doesn't take you to a pass, a layup, you know, um, or a shot, it should not be used. So that's the key. If you have your guards together, you're getting entries, you're getting positioning, and then your post. And then a skip pass is kind of lost start with our kids now because why would I skip to you and I can dribble to get to the rim? I think that's a key. So, yeah, passing interiorly, it's not a lost art. It's not a focus. I think kids can pass. So – as sure. a coach, as a player, as a parent, as a summer guy, you become what you allow in any program. And if you allow a lot of dribbling, you're not going to be a great passing team. Let me. And if you've listened much to it, um, some really, really good, high-efficient offensive teams and, that are well-coached, um, and they are high-percentage shooting teams, high-percentage shooting teams are great passing teams. That's how I get it. To, I sell into kids. If you want to shoot it, you want to be a high-percentage team. We better be better passers. That's the key. So yeah, I yeah, totally you become agree, what you allow. Yeah. And if, and, and you don't want to overemphasize it because kids get real bored with us talking all the time. Right. So, Hey, today, <laughs> exactly. you have four passes and to get it inside. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> make four. That's your only restriction. Oh my gosh. And what, then what right. happens a little bit, really what happens is that they'll, they'll pass up a shot to get their fourth pass underneath. So you have to really work on transition with kids. It's almost like that out of bounds play. They're going to run it, even though the girl's wide open underneath. And, um, sure. you know, if you could get Brad Smith on the call, I don't know. He has a thing. Um, and I think that Kelly Selpak is uh, talked to me about it, too. He's the Cal Stars. He's in California. Great coach. But Brad Smith. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball. And I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share 
knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. It's called uh, passing, re- passing games or passing transition. If you could get him on your call, we did this a lot. I didn't do it in San in New Mexico because we don't have an athletic period, which is a weird thing. And it is this unbelievable, your JV kids, your varsity kids, and it's all passing and uh, transitioning. And maybe you could get Brad to send you this drill, but he would be great for every coach. And I don't have, I can do it, but you would need his specific knowledge because it's something you kind of have to see, even if you ever had a whiteboard or a podcast with video, it's one of the best transition passing interior defensive drills I've ever seen in my life. You could do it for the whole practice to be successful. So yeah, and actually, you know what I'm talking uh, well, I, about? it's funny. I do, and I think it's well. I think his, I think is uh, the the guy that was just recently there. Uh, I think it's Kirk yeah. Gilsdorf mm-hmm. at Oregon City. He sent me all his drills, and I think it's his what he calls his five on three running game. I think it is. Well, Brad called uh, it passing passing game. Oh, passing yeah. game. Okay. And I, okay, maybe maybe Kurt changed it a little bit. Yeah, Kurt was a great coach. Great coach. Yeah. Yeah, and I um. Uh, I, I love talking to all you guys. But I tell you, it, it's been a joy. I picked up so much stuff and uh, I appreciate, you know, what you're being so transparent with me. I really appreciate it. And I know I don't want to take up that much more because you got to go hiking pretty soon. I know coach. you interfered with my morning. You know, I got to keep my Zen going. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, before you go, I want you to kind of break down. I'm a big practice coach and I, I, it sounds like to me you are too. Give us kind of a practice format that a coach can utilize. Uh, kind of give me the art of coaching. Give me what you guys do. Um, you know, our art of practice. Yeah, co- yeah, art practice. Of practice. You have to have plans. Yeah. I mean, this is so simple. This isn't going to take long. If you don't come out with a written plan, you're going to struggle. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you, that point, it, because it keeps you, it's the same thing as a system, especially young coaches. You know, they go out there and they stray off that practice plan. Stick to it. Stay to it. If you don't get the drill done in 15 minutes, do it the next day. You know, stay to it. And I think small block of activity are good. I have the last 10 years, every practice plan of every season. And it's just it's just on a spreadsheet. I just do it and I recreate and I know what works when kids are fatigued. So practice plans, what does it look like? I think that depends. I think um, you have to have small sided games. I think you have to have warm up. You have to have a little bit of breakdown of what your weight room days are going to look like versus how intense you are. Um, you have to have fundamentals. You have to have free throws. You have to have shooting. You know, you have to cover everything and how that is so hard. That's why you have to, yeah. you know, it's hard coach. So what you have to do is be consistent yeah. and know you'll get to it the next day or the day after that. The big thing is a lot of coaches scrimmage the whole time. And I disagree with that, but if that's what you do and it works for you, bless you. I wish I could do that. So I feel that this scrimmage part of it is small part to whole part to big part. And you just add advantage, disadvantage. We don't do a lot of five on five. We do pregame and we do more toward the end of the season, but early season, it's much, it's more detailed oriented specifics for reads. And we, I don't believe in practicing past two hours. That's me. I find more success by picking it up the next day. So also, um, and Dr. Pappas may have shared this, we have a skill sheet and a, a scheme sheet, and it's for the whole program, 7th through 12th grade. And I write down what, our, what we're going to do for ball handling, what we're going to do for defense, what we're going to do, you know, skill set up on one sheet. 
And then on the other side is our schemes. And when I go to write my practice plan, I look at this and I just check it off. Okay, this is what I've, and this is part of that uh, pre-scouting thing, what I want to do this season. And so I take my pre-practice sheet, put it on my practice plan. I send it out to my coaches. It takes a little bit of work. And then they send me back their comments, give the final product. I also send it out to our kids. They get the plan before practice. I want them to know. Hmm. I also post it on the wall. I want them to know. I want them to have buy-in. And there's also a portion of every practice plan that the kids are responsible for 15 minutes. It could be out of bounds place. It could be, okay, we're going to work on our diamond press today. You guys are in charge. So there's a 15 minutes of that practice is devoted to kids coaching. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it could be um, three kids assigned to give me the scout against a team that we're playing that runs a one, three, one. Okay. What does this look like? Cause and they would, they go back cause every kid gets our, how we beat a one, three, one, how we beat a, a 22, how we beat a two, three, what are we going to do man to man? They go back and look at those drills and they go out and do it. So that's how we do plans. Um, is it the key? I think it's one of the biggest keys of being a successful coach is your practice planning. Um, that's just, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, everybody says it's, the, the, the players, but I think if you are really, really, and I'm not saying organized, if you're really detailed and then kind of have some freedom within that plan, you're going to be successful. I love your humility, though, how you, uh, number one, get your assistance point of view. Now, I don't think all head coaches do that. Um, and number two, you get your players perspective, too. I think that's very rare. I don't know how many coaches do that uh, beforehand. Now, that takes a little bit extra time and takes a lot of Patience, right? You know, when you say, I don't actually, the players see the practice plan. They don't give feedback. The coaches oh, do. Okay. okay. Now, they'll All see right. that they're on this. Now, when we get out on the floor and we're doing our dynamic warm up and the practice plan is attached under the goal on both ends, that may be a senior coming and say, Coach, we are not going to, we don't need this today. Can we work on this? That's why you have a little tweak right. time. Yeah, they do get input. Um, with JV and C team, they, they think they're getting input, but it's not as much because I think that's a mature skill. And now sure. your kids are maturing so much better. You may have a ninth grader on varsity, you know, and so you got to kind of look at what those levels are of maturity. And I think a practice plan allows a kid some security. I know that sounds strange, but it's that dialogue piece. Okay, here's what we're doing. You ever know those kids go, I wonder how much running we're going to do today. I wonder how much conditioning, right. how many free throws. <laughs> and they look at that and they go, oh, it's not too bad. We only have three suicides or whatever. I don't even like that word. We only have some up yeah. and backs. We only have 16 sidelines. Oh, this is good. I, I can feel good about this. And I think the kids see it. And it's funny. Um, they really look at it. And if you forget to put it out, oh, my gosh, they're calling you on it. I think it's a good tool. <laughs> Try it. I mean, I think, I think they'd yeah. like to see it. Yeah, absolutely on that. Yeah, we have a we have a big board that we use and so forth. Um, <clears throat> we do a little pre, you know pre practice talk. We have, we show videos sometimes, and do, we try to do a lot of things. Of course, I'm talking to all you great coaches, man. I got to be learning something from you guys, man. So oh, you're, um, you're sweet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, tell me about the end of practice. I think how you end practice will decide how you start practice the next day. We always end on a positive note. Yeah. How do you guys end practice? I think um, I've seen a – that's an excellent point, and I'm glad you're on a positive note. You know, I've seen a lot of, you know, viewing college practices, and I think it's just like anything, depending on your team, you never want to walk out with negative feelings. So we end practice with a circle. We come back in. We talk about how the day went, talk about what's going to go on you know, tomorrow, what we can kind of do within that point. And then we leave the gym open for 10 minutes for one-on-one -on -one 
I, you know what they do? Very, sometimes a kid will come to you, but more than anything, they're just goofing off and playing knockout that we never let them play or things like that. So right. same thing, try to end <laughs> on a positive. Um, I think that could become a, a tough session if a coach decides to speak for 15 minutes, you know, when you can get right. it done the next day. So that's my big thing on that. Whatever works for you, I do think that you need it in practice positive, and I agree with that. And it's hard sometimes when you've had a really cruddy practice or the kids aren't focused. It's really hard because you think we didn't get anything done today. But you're not going to change the world in that last three minutes either. So think about that. What is it you'd want to say? One thing, you know, if you're going to end that way, what's the one good thing I want to say? And move on. So. Yeah, and I, I, I think I, I probably – misspoken on positive i think we try to end on a challenge yeah. oh. so i think i think a challenge a team challenge even if the kids don't get the number they have something to look forward to the next day it's not always like you know roses you know but uh we try to end on a team challenge every day i think that's good and if a kids and they'll get used to that kids like habits and so there, there's right. some coaches love i mean they're good with the uh, hug them and love them. I mean, it works for them. It works for the kids and they like to end on that. A team challenge is good. Um, only in the sense that you're bonding. And so whatever works for right. your group is what you've got to do at the end. Just, I, I don't think you should just walk out and say, okay, practice over, go fight, win. So I think you have to find what works for you. And I think that's really hard to qualify. Yeah. I mean, what works? I don't, I think you'd have to do a lot of work with your kids. And I also think that the team building, when we go back to that relationship piece, which I didn't bring is one of the top three on that relationship piece and building your programs. You better have some kind of culture activity going on all the, all the time, all the time, I all the time. I told you. I mean, to, Hey, I'm <laughs> telling you, it is people. If you're not good at that or connectivity activities or team building, Yep, you're going to struggle. I think it, it helps. And you got to do it. It's like coaches who don't like to go in the weight room. You got to do both because it's all that whole thing. And don't you agree, particularly nowadays with kids nowadays be, being almost, I wouldn't say disconnected, but they're, they're not face-to-face -face contact. Don't, you, don't, don't we have to do more of that? I agree. Yeah. We, yes. You know, um, we've gone to a lot of team app. Just find you a good messaging system because that's, you know, it's the two things. Their phone is the extension of them and their connection in that. And the other thing is time. Time is their currency. So you got to be really good with the time that you're taking from them and get them to buy in. So, yeah, I think that being connected is a huge piece. And that comes from the culture of your program. Yeah, Coach, thank you so yep. much for that advice. Hey, um, hey, I have a, I have a really good player. I know you deal with. Uh, the recruiting aspect. I know you've been around great coaches, college coaches, high school coaches. Mm -hmm. You've been one of the, the best coaches. Hey you're, hey, you're still one of the best. What am I saying? So uh, um, I have a really good player. She is now being looked. Matter of fact, um, Sanford University just made her an offer. Mercer, University of North Carolina, Asheville. So she she's getting looks from offers from lower D1. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say lower D1, smaller D1 schools. Um what do you recommend for her? What is the right fit? That's hard to do because I'm trying to give her advice and I'm trying to help her parents out. What is the right fit for a kid in a call? Is it the relationship with a coach? Is it academics? Is it what help us out here a little bit? Um, you know, that's a, that's a hard question to answer unless you know the kid. I think that like for the great players that I have, like the, my best point guard I've ever coached and one of the best players. Um, what was most important to her was the relationship with the head coach. That was no matter where it wasn't about the wins and losses, the top. I mean, she was a top, she was a power five kid. 
It was about the relationship with the head coach. And that's what she needed to decide of all the places that it came down to. And, you know, did it work out? Not as well as she had hoped, but that's the reason she chose the school. Wasn't based on win losses. Wasn't based on being a final four team. Now another with your player, you have to decide. And that's where, you know, they used to say, would you go to this school? Even if you weren't a basketball player, I don't know if we can do that anymore because they are a basketball player. So I think when you sit down with your great player and you ask her, what is the most important thing to you in your university, whatever, and give her, tell her to do her top three, then she doesn't sway from that. Does she want to be hard coached? Is it her teammates? Is it playing time immediately? I think it depends on each individual. And so there's a lot of people that say, would you go there? Are they, are you, we need to go higher. I don't believe it's power five. I don't believe it's mid majors NAI. I think the bottom line is relationship piece and what that kid wants out of her four years is the, do, do they already know what degree they want? Does that university provide it? And if it doesn't, what happens when you have to change your career? So I think you have to be more global. And what does it look like that down the road two years or even one year? Because that's why the portal is full every year with kids transferring because they really don't yeah, know what sure. they want. So as a head coach with players now, if I had, we don't, you know, we don't have any division one kids at my school. We just don't. And I mean, we have some great basketball players, though. So where do you find them a place? But with a kid that's really good, it's based on you really have to dig deep because these things are going to change when you get to the school. So and I also really high integrity coaches are going to tell you the truth. And that's something as a coach, when you're helping her in this recruiting process, just, you know, don't if they're telling her what they want to hear, that's a struggle. Make, to make sure they're telling the truth. And I guess that sounds easy, but sometimes it's not. And, um, you know, make sure your kid knows where they are on the recruiting process. And so it's a, it's a give and take. I think the college coaches do a fantastic job. I think the kid is blessed to be recruited, but it really does come down to them so that a year from there, they are not disappointed and they're in the portal. That's a hard one. I don't know if there's a right answer. You know what? I don't know if there's a right answer anymore, coach. It's hard. Yeah, I, it is tough. Yeah. And I don't think there is a right yeah. answer. Um, but um, and that's those that's a life skill, right? Mm -hmm. She's going to have to learn how to grow up now. Yeah. Um, and I guess the tough thing for her is her, you know, more more her dad. You, I'm sure you had to deal with a lot of dads, right? Um, her dad wants her to play at Georgia, and I know all the I know the coaches at Georgia, right. but I don't. They, they haven't. Hey, they haven't called me. So, so you know. Um, so she, I think she, I think she's better off at a smaller school where she can. She can play. Yeah. She can fit in. She can play. I mean, we all want to go to the Georgias, the Floridas, places like that. So that's a hard selling point to her sometimes her parents. I guess the, the question I would ask her is, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Not me, not your yeah. coach, not your best friend. What, what are you thinking? Because it's a lot of pressure to go to a place that you may not play right away. Or it maybe she, and, if she, and if that's the thing, if they're not calling, then she has to put herself or a player has to put themselves in a position to be that level of what they want. Don't, if they're not calling, there's a reason, or maybe there's not, maybe they don't know. So yeah. you have to, it depends on where you are. And then some kids are blessed that they could go to anywhere and play. And, but some kids are really good that it's just not a good fit there because it doesn't fit their scheme. It doesn't mean the player's bad or not as good. It just means that's not the type of player they're recruiting. And that's what you try to tell kids, Hey, if they're not calling, it doesn't mean they don't think you're good. It doesn't mean you, you don't fit what they need right now. It's not personal. Right. It's a business. And if you can, it's not personal. It is a business. Let's find the place where a business works for you and you can be successful. 
Yes, and it's a big business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of pressure on those coaches. You're right. Though. That's, that's great advice, Coach. Thank you yep. so much. Uh, you're my paid cons- uh, Well, I wouldn't say you're my paid consultant. You're my unpaid consultant. Are now. we all? So we just, I, we're here to help people. That's why we do this. Help kids and help coaches. That's right. <laughs> Coach, thank you so much for joining me, man. And I, I think you now can go on your hike. You can relax a little bit. But um, I really appreciate you sharing with us, coaches. Thank yeah, you. And hey, if um, any, I'm I give away. I email if if uh, you or any, if you want my transition, whatever. Just um, yeah, my coach. It's simple. I'm Coach T Morrison at gmail.com. Anybody wants any okay. of stuff? I've got my practice plans. Anything that I, I love to email out, or if you want to, you know, just connect via email. We can. And I'm hey. If you have something that would help me, you know, I'd love to share on that too. That's the key. And if we get back out on the road and we get to go to some things in July, maybe I'll see you guys down the road or a coach because I do work the EYBL and I am doing the blue star stuff. I just don't know where we're going to have it. If we get to get back out and for all those coaches out there that are struggling this time, no, you're not alone that just get to the other side and help your kids. If I can tell you, make, make connections with your kids because that's important and your families. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got definitely got to connect yep. and so forth. I, and I appreciate the great advice you've given us, Coach. And, um, man, I, I hope to – I tell you, my, my goal is to get Brad Smith and Coach Pappas and you and get them on a uh, on a coach's meeting where we can see see your um, – maybe see some uh, video so, and so forth that you guys have done. I think that would be great. Be great. Well, you know, you, that's, you can do that as long as we have a Zoom and a whiteboard. Your coaches can draw it up, and it would be fun. But we'd have to restrict my Dr. Pappas. That man can talk an offense and a defense for 35 <laughs> minutes. So, now, and Brad, would oh, be fun. Brad's a good guy. I don't know if he'd do it, but it would be fun to get on a, a talk together. And there, and there's some other really good coaches out there, like in, in Texas. Just, I mean, I've got to sh- give credit to some people that helped me grow as a coach. I mean, that was Todd Muncie yeah. and Dinah Sager and Kelly Carruthers. And then one of the best AD coaches, I mean, a coach's AD was Kevin Ozzie. He just taught me so much. And, and if you ever want to, get a man that's an AD that can help coaches. Um, when we hang up, I'm going to send you his email. The man is yeah, a genius. Great. He is an unbelievable coaches AD, and he can really help young coaches and how to be successful. I would, I would love okay. that, Coach. Awesome. And if, if any of your contacts, I would love to get you think it would be really great for the podcast. I would yeah, love I'll to have Yeah, I'll send you some a- stuff because the, uh, the one coach, um, he's young, he's gone through, and he is working with the uh, the W the – Youth of uh, U.S. Uh, I'm thinking USA basketball. He does all the youth version. Yes. Yeah. So he's a really okay. good. Yeah. I'll, I'll reach out to him and just have him contact you or vice versa. Great, okay. coach. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. I appreciate you taking the time right, out. This is Matthew Smith with United Basketball Clinics. I want to let you know about the fourth annual Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic, the last weekend of August, August 28th and 29th. Right now, we've secured Chris Oliver of Basketball Immersion to, to speak all Friday night. He's going to give three to four sessions on topics that will challenge us as coaches and leaders. I look forward to seeing you there. We will update you as soon as we secure other speakers for Saturday. Please follow at Coach M.W. Smith on Twitter, and our website is unitedbasketballclinics.com. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, 
Check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram.